Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society. To discuss everything from their latest endeavors to career highlights and early beginnings. Intimate, in-depth talk with pioneering talents and fascinating folk discussing the stuff that matters to them and how they scaled the slippery slopes of success. Patsy Kensett is the quintessential London girl who started acting when she was just four years old. Since then, she's worked with everyone from Hollywood icons like Elizabeth Taylor, Mel Gibson and Harrison Ford to British acting royalty like Mark Rylance and Kristen Scott Thomas. I caught up with Patsy to talk about her new film, The Pebble and the Boy, the realities of being an it girl in the 90s, how she dealt with the loss of her mother and why she offered this sage piece of advice, don't marry all your boyfriends. Now let's talk about the movie, The Pebble and the Boy. It's a, a rites of passage story about John Parker, a, a young lad who's uh, making a pilgrimage to Brighton with his mod scooter crazed dad's, uh, late dad's ashes. Um, what was it that interested you enough in the story to not only appear in it, but also associate produce it? Well, I loved the, um, the idea of the movie and Quadrophenia being the ultimate mod film and one of my all-time favorites this was um obviously it's not like quadrophenia but it, it's it's acknowledging the mod culture and the music um paul weller's uh, given a lot of his music for the sound film soundtrack and the idea of this boy who really didn't understand his dad and his dad's standing in the mod community and being one of the real faces goes on this pilgrimage uh, to Brighton with his dad's ashes, as you said. And along the way, he encounters different characters and it's kind of in three chapters, really, the story. And along the way, he comes across um, me and my husband, who were both sort of mods, um, great friends with his dads. And, um, you know, they're still party people, uh, at, you know, at their age and um, embrace the, the past and kind of living in the past a little bit. So um, it was something that it really appealed to me. And it was a, you know, young director, great young talent in the film and, um, I was thrilled to do it. Um, it's it's uh, interesting. I mean, you yourself uh, were the singer in a band once, Eighth Wonder, back in the 80s. And uh, 
I think four out of four of your husbands have all been musicians. <laughs> but this is, is one period of, of rock and roll that you haven't previously embraced. Um, were Parkers and, and Vespers a bit lightweight for you in your mad music days? The, the film is, in a way, a sort of love letter, isn't it, to mod culture? So what does mod culture mean to you? Well, I mean, you know, the Union Jack is the first thing you kind of think of. And mm. we have a lot of growing up in Hounslow, there were lots of mods uh, around my area. The Merton Parkers were one lot. And I think the, the uh, keyboard player from the Star Council was actually a member of the Merton Parkers. And they'd have their, their Parkers with a kind of a question mark on the back or a circle with an arrow. Uh, um, so that was something that I, I grew up seeing. I've always loved the 60s, that the music and the fashion, that was something that has appealed to me since I was, uh, you know, 14 or 15. It's just, a, it's, it's just a wonderful time, I think, in music and fashion and ideas. Yeah, you were, you, you were born at the end of, of that decade. Why do you think that uh, it's maintained such cultural significance and, and, and been romanticised in such a way? Do you think it was a, I don't know, like a hopeful generation or something? I think it was a generation that came out of the 50s, which was kind of quite starched and proper. And we had the um, launch of the birth control, the pill, which gave sexual freedom. Um, there was obviously experimentation with drugs. They, it seemed like a very, in, as we look back on it, and, it's, and you're right, it's a time that we revisit so often because it has that real aura of magic and, happening London uh, I think it's just it was groundbreaking and that will be something that as the years go by and history carries on will it will always stand out as a as a big moment in pop culture and mm. um, the, the film also focuses on this mysterious somewhat mysterious deceased uh, father prematurely deceased um, and your own dad, I mean, I, I suppose we have to admit here, I once uh, used to be uh, Patsy's <laughs> PR, and so uh, so I, I know her quite well. And and your own dad, we used to describe him back in the 80s as an antiques dealer. Uh, no, but I know that, that recently... Like, so terrified I'd get a call from me saying, Patsy, they know, they know everything about your dad. <laughs> and actually, it kind of did happen, didn't it? I'm sorry I interrupted you, but... Um, no, yeah, no, Harry. it did. <laughs> no, but yeah. I was just going to say, so we used to describe him as an antique stealer, but but actually, you know, you, you've been very honest about what he was up to um, more recently. And he, he spent time in and out of prison during your childhood. He was he was he was sort of glamorous, if, if you find gangsters glamorous, because he was involved in organized crime with the Cray twins. So uh, was that part of the appeal of this film? Just this idea of this sort of, I don't know, the investigating, the investigating of, of a parent who you just didn't know that much about? I think the mystery around his dad and, and this child, um, this boy, sorry, not a child, I think he's a child. You know, well, he is boy, a child he, to us, isn't he? <laughs> he really is a child. That didn't know his father really well. And I didn't, I, I didn't have a bond with him. And if we're looking for parallels, I think that I did find out so much about my dad um, after he died. And I did, um, who do you think you are? And that really uh, opened up everything about about my father and so there were lots of secrets growing up and so he was a kind of a mystery to me and look he was a flawed man and yes you know Reggie Cray was my brother's godfather and he used to write to me from prison and you know these are very uh, dark characters in you know that that, that lived and reigned um, throughout the, the 60s 
but my dad was my dad and and as flawed as a human being he was I, I you know I loved him and um, he paid his debt to society and it was for hard to see actually because he was in and out of prison so much the man that I knew and, and worshipped he sort of became institutionalized almost and he definitely paid his debt to society he really did and you lost him at a young age and then your mum at only 22. I wondered first in terms of just the impact of that on, on a young woman left alone in the world to an extent. What, what do you think that, 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 that effect that had on you? Well, I think I was waiting for my mother was diagnosed as terminally ill when I was about five and a half. And that was in the 70s when cancer was... I mean, obviously, it's so sad that we lost Sarah Harding yesterday. And, um, you know, we're so used to people being in and out of remission. But my mother in those yeah. days, that was, it was a death sentence. Yet she was such, I mean, you knew my mom, and she was such a strong, positive person. I wish I had a, an ounce of her positivity. And she fought the illness and didn't, you know, so that was for, you know, do the math, whatever. She died when I was 22, and I was about five when it happened. But I remember going to the hospital on numerous occasions to say goodbye because she wasn't going to make it through the night. And I think as a child, your innocence is, goes when you realize your mortality. And that was something that I had to address very young that, um, that we, we do die and that I was going to lose my mum. So I lived in fear of of that day happening and, and it, sadly it did when I was 22 and I just had my eldest son James he was one and you know the plan was my mum was going to help me raise him and she'd been such an amazing parent I mean I don't know what would have happened to my brother and I had she not lived to be honest with you because it would things I think would have been very different for us and my dad not being around the amount of time that he wasn't so um, I just cherished her and it was like losing a vital organ when she died. I and mean, of course I'm reconciled with it now. And, and I, I, you know, I talk to my sons about her and my, my greatest regret, my greatest regret is that the boys didn't have her as yeah. a grandmother because she would have just, just ruined them. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's probably for the best. Probably for the best. But she was, I mean, it kind of, it, I think I often, I think if I hadn't had my son James, I would have really, gone off the rails and I think because I had this this baby I had to keep it together and and be there and be strong and present and and all the things that you know I think can happen after you lose somebody like that you can you can go down a dark path and I think that he James was the reason that that I didn't. Did your mum also really want you to be successful in a particular field because I'm sure at four years old you weren't thinking oh I really want to do that bird's eye peas ad Yes, I think that's that again is people often question was she this pushy stage mother and it really wasn't that at all. She was incredibly stylish and was going to get her hair cut at Vidal Sassoon's. We were living in two rooms with an outside toilet till I was seven. However, my mum was, you know, wearing design clothes and would, you know, we'd go to the West End and she'd, you know, go to Vidal Sassoon and I'd go along with her. And I remember all these things happening when I was very young and a friend of her started this agency for youngsters and they got the call for it was for the great gatsby it was the first job i actually did actually the peas advert was after that and we just went along to make up numbers i wasn't on the agency but they wanted a small blonde child um between sort of four and, and six i think and i went along and got the part and i remember so much about that i mean the two worlds that i was going from as well from being living really quite in, in a very kind of um what would I say, a, a challenged environment to... Yeah, slightly to, deprived. 
deprived exactly and and then going to this glamorous beautiful world and Ralph Lauren did my fittings and I remember Robert Redford walked on the set and all the women got very giggly and silly and those things those memories don't leave me and I think that I was able to see um, another world and it was something as I got older um, naively I was on this quest to work and make enough money so I could buy my mother a better life I could buy her her health I could I could do so much for her um but that was you know it was a fruitless um crusade but that was that was the um the the the, the drive behind me and I've always had that and I'm, I'm somebody that like that is a carer I I feel um you know that I've been in relationships where uh James's dad particularly was very, you know, we'd, we'd had a lovely, a lovely life, but I always wanted to work and always felt that I had to work and I've enjoyed it. I, I think it's wonderful to have your independence. You talked about your work ethic and, I, and it is an incredible thing. And I'm not sure that people have recognized it enough over the decades in terms of, you know, the image of you has always been one of, you know, kind of falling apart, letting it go, crazy behavior, married, you know, four times. We've talked about that in a moment. But but actually all the way through it, I think work and your sons have kept you far more on the straight and narrow than people might imagine. I think that what happens, I think you might have a, a couple of uh, unfortunate moments, which particularly in the 90s, I think was the case. And then the, the hounding from, from the, the um, photographers and, and the, the, the tabloids at that time was so intense. And it was, it's a million times worse now, I would imagine, for people. I can't imagine with the way the internet is and, and, and everything now. But people have a, a way of um, answering their critics and with you know their Instagrams or Twitter or things. That you, there's a chance to stick up for yourself. There was none in those days. And they had this image of me, this picture of this person, and then this narrative that was actually nothing like what was what was happening in my life and it was very frustrating and I was doing you know really good work and constantly in work and I have remained my entire life since the age of four I've worked every year of my life for the last 46 years I think that's correct that is an accomplishment it's crazy and it's crazy and that's an accomplishment and I think that it's it's frustrating at times, but I just know that anyone anyone that works with me will just say you know, how professional I am, and that I always I've got a great attitude, and and I've got a great love for the work that I do, and mm. uh, that's 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 just the way it is. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You said um, recently that one of your pieces of accrued wisdom was that you don't have to marry all your boyfriends, which I thought was <laughs> very typical of you because it was really funny and really astute and said an awful lot in, in, in one sentence. How much do you think? I remember you and I talking once many, many years ago and you said it was fine. I'm going to be like Elizabeth Taylor. I think she married <laughs> seven times, so I didn't. <laughs> but I, she, blame but she... I blame working with her. That's what happened. Um, I spent a year filming in Russia with her when I was six and had my seventh birthday in 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 communist russia at the time and um that's that she made such a huge impression on me because she was so wonderful but no i think my problem is i'm a hopeless romantic and i could be quite cynical about relationships because of my history but i'm not i don't choose to be and i believe in love and i've managed to sort of have a more of a private life now which which i treasure yeah. Um, and also, I think you know. I think no one's really interested anymore, which is which is. I know it's so sad, isn't it? I know I've got the same thing. Nobody cares. It's terrible, but also liberating. I can't bear it. <laughs> but I wonder um, how much, as well, you were uh, you were driven by this sense of of who your father was and. Um, how you know you talked about wanting to save your mum and look after her but also you know probably of, of wanting to do the same thing with your dad and and you know in many ways although they were all in the music business the husbands that you've had have been you know the sort of slightly bad boys slightly and i wonder how much you think i've said i wonder about 40 times in that sentence Don't um, worry, I said, how much you, you know. think how much you think you're influenced by by you know the, the unreconciled emotions that you had for your dad I think that I chose men that went away a lot on tour, which I think was, is an interesting way of looking at it because mm. I, was, I was used to the separation. And so I would, I mean, it was, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's strange that they, they're all in, in, in the music world, but it was a world that we all moved in at, at, at the time and you, you meet certain people and, that was, you know, they were the, the men that I was, I've dated and wanted to marry me. Uh, but I think it's interesting. I mean, now my taste is very, very different and I know exactly what I don't want. And I'm used to the feeling of having somebody being there. I'm, I'm, I, I think I, I didn't want to allow myself to rely on, some, on someone so much because I've been so used to relying upon myself. And that would, I think, answer the reason why I, I, I chose challenging marriages because of the, mm. the, the separation and and also the temptation that's that surrounds people in that industry it's just it, it's it's a hopeless um, situation you've also um brought up two boys on your own for much of the time while working pretty much solidly how much do you think motherhood informed the choices you made and were there times when you were actually worried about the choices you were making because you were a mother I was terrified uh, about the having to having two sons and one. I mean, the, the longest sort of separation. It wasn't because I would I would commute up and down to Leeds at the time when I was doing Emmerdale. But my sons were my eldest son was just thirteen and my youngest was um, gosh, he was like three, 
three or four. And so I would have taken it. I love Leeds so much. I mean, it's such a beautiful city and, and I would have happily moved there for the time that I was working out there. But my eldest son had been in the same school from, from reception and to take a 13 year old out of a, a school in, in Hampstead and put him a school up north, it's such a fragile age anyway, that was, it just wasn't an option. So they had to remain in London. And so, like I said, I would go drive up on a Monday morning, four in the morning, do a 13 hour day and then drive home. I mean, after a year of doing that, they, they called me upstairs to producers and said, we're, um, we're getting really concerned about you because about you, I was <laughs> I was doing the journey in about an hour and 10 minutes sometimes. It's a miracle. I, mean, I wouldn't advise that to anybody. That's a shocking admission. But um, I, was, I was chasing myself constantly. And now, of course, I mean, the boys have their own places. And, but I see them all the time. They're, they are, we're very, very, very close. And they've been, they're my greatest achievement, uh, I would think. And I'm so happy they've turned out. And I've said in, up to them over the years, oh, my God, you know, how was it for you? And was that awful? Was this strange? And they both said, no, it was great. Are you kidding me? What was that? It was brilliant. It was great. And the things that I, I sort of think of are horrible. They don't have that memory at all. And that's, that's yeah. wonderful. You were, um, of course, one of the movers and shakers of the uh, Cool Britannia movement in the uh, 90s, uh, though how much you kind of knew you were a mover and shaker at the forefront of that at the time uh, is is debatable. But uh, it drew comparisons with the swinging 60s and and now, of course, we see sort of 90s throwbacks everywhere, which is pretty terrifying when I feel like it was only a couple of years ago. Um, Worry, right? Did you feel like you were part of something special? I mean, what did it feel like? Because I think there'll be people listening who who just saw the the very superficial, uh, you know, outside view of it. Did it feel exciting and glamorous or did it feel kind of sordid and a little bit difficult? I think it was really interesting. And I came out of that time with a a beautiful son uh, who is the image of his father. Um, actually, both is. look exactly like their dad. Exactly, they're both images of their dads, which is which is great. Um, was it? Uh, I think that, I don't think I enjoyed it enough. I think I worried way too much years ago about what people thought, and that's something that I worked on a lot. And I don't really care anymore because there's no point. You're going to people who think what you think, and so there were things that happened, and I I, I react in a certain way, and I think, why the hell did I just not just laugh and so what, sod it, who cares? That's, that's is how I kind of look back on it. And it was, yeah, it was, it, it was a good time. It was, it was great. And, you know, we'd go to Mick Jagger's Christmas parties and round to Paul McCartney's house. And these are all people that I'd idolized for many years before the nineties. Uh, so that was, that was great, but I don't look back with any sort of longing. It was, it was, a, it was a time and, and, and I have a beautiful family because of it. Yeah. And, you know, in, in terms of, of, you know, other, you know, sorry, I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. I was so busy listening to you. I've forgotten what I was going to ask. It's so unprofessional, isn't it? I know. No. I know what it was. It's brain fog, because the next yes. thing I wanted to ask you about was, was something that we both feel quite passionately about. And you've actually contributed very kindly in interview form. Your book, to my Congratulations, book. which is amazing. <laughs> Thank Fantastic. you very much. Great read. Um, Everyone should buy it. It's wonderful. 
<laughs> You're very sweet. But you, you were, in your own words, thrown into um, menopause in, in terms of you had a, a post-emergency hysterectomy in, in, in your mid-40s. What did that feel like for you? Because, you know, for many women, it, they have to completely reevaluate their relationship with themselves and how their body's working. And, and you'd always been, you know, celebrated as one of the most beautiful women on earth. And suddenly you're a, a post-menopausal woman in your mid-40s. Well, I think that it's called the change for a really good reason. And I feel like it's it's conscious puberty in a sense, because when you're going through puberty as an adolescent, you really don't know what's happening to you. And you're, you, you know, you're shouting at your parents and slamming doors and, and, and all the, the stuff that's, that's going on, the hormonal stuff, which has such an, I mean, the hormones control everything. And so to wake up from this hysterectomy and suddenly be, not even perimenopausal, I was bang smack right in the middle of it. And I've always prided myself on my memory and my ability to just talk freely and be, and I, I suddenly for a while was felt like a prisoner of my own body because my, my I found myself in Waitrose, I shared this in your book and I, I went to do the, the food shop and I, I got to the supermarket and I was like, what the hell am I doing here? And I left, I bought a pair of American tan tights, not even opaque black ones, I've never worn, and a cabbage and I left <laughs> and that was, that was, and then not you know, parking my car and not being able to remember where, I parked the car and that, and then speaking to someone and halfway, like two sentences into the uh, answering the question, I was like, actually, what were we talking about? But thank God I found, um, I have bioidentical hormone, uh, uh, the lozenges, and um, I give blood every sort of four months and they're tailored totally to what I need and what I'm lacking. And I feel back to myself completely, but it's a scary time. And it's not particularly when it, I was going through it as well, it hadn't been, the great topic that it is now and I'm so pleased about that you've got your book and that it's being spoken about because women I think feel very very confused and like you said you're you're you feel like this sort of vibrant um woman and all of a sudden everything is thrown into question and and it's it's a it's a very testing time and then you come out the other side and and it's all great and with you know the, the knowledge of knowing that and being able to talk to your children about it, boys and girls. It's so important. It just wasn't discussed um, in my generation. No. Um, you've had an amazing career. You've, you've appeared uh, on screen with so many kind of iconic stars, as I mentioned in the beginning. And you've also done a lot of television work in this country and been a very familiar face on, on screen. What's the piece of work that, that you're proudest of, that, that, that really meant the most to you? Um, or do you think you've still yet to make it? Well, there's always the hope that, that, <laughs> that I think becoming an actor, the dream is to do work that you would want to go and see yourself. That, um, and I can't say that for everything that I've done. Do you think that um, that actually you're getting offered better parts now that you're mature because people were sort of over dazzled by the image and your looks when you were younger? I think that I've been very fortunate to keep working and to have gone through being a child actor to being you know a young um, a, a young female actress and then and now to be working in my fifties is it, it's I don't have any complaints at all. Um, if I was a piece of work that I actually would say, well, this is what I really 
and proudest of was a movie that I did with Mark Rylance and Kristen Scott Thomas, which is Angels and Insects. And that was something that I was just so thrilled to be in and went to work every day, which I do anyway, it doesn't matter. I mean, you have to find the, whether the script isn't necessarily exactly the way you would hope it would be or want it when you actually arrive to do it. You have to fall in love with the character you're playing. And I loved yeah. that movie. In, in its entirety, from the script to the way that it was, it was shot to the to how it how it looked once it was filmed was it, it was very satisfying uh, for me to be in that. So well, I'm it was, just it was very, very, very it was critical, huge success, and won several awards, and I was nominated for lots of things for doing that, and that was that was interesting. I'm just very frustrated that no one's quite captured your funny bone yet because you are one of the funniest <laughs> people I've ever met and with the best laugh. Just finally, um, Patsy, um, I know Elizabeth Taylor was a bit of a heroine for you and you did tell me, as I said years ago, that you might follow in her marriage uh, path. And she, of course, famously married Richard Burton again. Are there any of the four that you would consider remarrying? I'm not sure any of them would have me back. <laughs> if I'm very honest with you, um, no, uh, and I say that with a lot of love and and goodwill. But no, I, I've exhausted those situations, and I um, I look forward to the next one. But whether marriage is on the cards for me in the future, I'm um, I, I, I don't think so. I don't think oh, so. I don't, think, don't I, say I, never. Whenever you say never, <laughs> yeah. you get engaged again. <laughs> exactly. Watch this face. <laughs> total delight talking to you thank you so you much do. for joining Lots us of love, Mariella. thank you so much for your time thanks for listening to Mariella Meets with me Mariella Frostrup there'll be more from the podcast next week so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my program every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4 on Times Radio. Catch you next time.